Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Church London catch-up service. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a passion to present Jesus to London and would love for you to be part of the adventure. So why not say hello to us by visiting our website manualchurchlondon.org so we can get back to you and say a bit more of a personal hello. Got lots to get through today. So if I speak fast, please forgive me. You can listen back to it on Spotify on like 0.7 or something like that. Um, Okay. We are starting a new series today on the topic of hearing God. Hearing God. Yeah, there you go. Nice. Thank you. From the very beginning, from the very beginning, God has been speaking. The first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, God spoke all of creation into being. He didn't clap it into being. He didn't think it into being. He didn't feel it into being. There wasn't some sort of divine uh, war or conflict between evil and good and the result was creation. That's not what happened. According to chapter 1 of the first book of the Bible, God spoke the world into being. From the very beginning of creation, God has been speaking. From the very beginning, he has shown himself to be a God who communicates. He speaks and he's never stopped. We're told in the book of Hebrews that long ago, in many times and in many ways, God spoke to his people through the prophets. God has always been communicating with his people. Jesus in the New Testament is called the living word of God, the word of God. He is the very word of God that created the entire universe and upholds it by his power. And in becoming a man, in becoming human, in becoming and living, dying, rising again, Jesus, the living word of God, is moving out from God into the world and is communicating his grace, his love, his forgiveness. He is communicating light into darkness. The living word is doing that. Our God speaks. And so today, we are kicking off this new series which we've called Hearing God. And over the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at how we can be a people who hear God. What it looks like to be a people who hear God together. So how are we going to do that? At Emmanuel, we want to be a church of the Word that is characterized by the Word and by the Spirit. We want to be a church that builds everything that we do on the Word of God. And we want to be a church that is empowered in all that we do by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit within us. We want to be a church of the Word and the Spirit. So today we are going to go through what it looks like, what it means to hear God through Scripture. That's today. We're going to look at what it means to to read the Bible as the authoritative revelation from God. Next week, uh, Ben is going to look at what it means to live in direct, constant, living relationship with God because we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So that's next week. And then finally, in a few weeks' time, we're going going to be looking at specifically the gift of prophecy amongst other gifts of the Holy Spirit. All really exciting stuff. 
All really exciting stuff as we look at together the fact that God speaks and we can hear. So, with all that in mind, shall we pray? Shall we pray? Father in heaven, I know you are speaking today. Thank you. And Lord, as we, as we come to Scripture, as we come to the Word of God together, I pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, enliven our hearts, make our hearts burn within us so that we can see you more. We want to hear you more. We want to know you more without any agenda, without any um, additional ask. We just want more of you. That's what I want for us this morning. We want to see more of God, hear more of God. We want to know you more. And Lord, I pray, speak and give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Thank you that you are. Amen. So, as I said, today we're going to start with Scripture. We're going to start with the Bible. We're going to be looking at how the Bible shapes how we should be thinking about hearing from God. And we're going to be looking at three things. We're going to, looking at how, we're going to look at how the Bible is our baseline of expectation, our baseline of expectation, our plumb line of truth, and our direct line of revelation. Our baseline of expectation, plumb line of truth, and direct line of revelation. So let's start with looking at the Bible as our baseline, our baseline of expectation. John 10, verse 27 Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The idea of expecting to be able to hear from God is one that our modern, secular, materialistic world culture can't really compute. It doesn't really have the framework within which that can be a thing. I remember that about five and a half-ish years ago, um, I was going through the process of um, conversations with people in Emmanuel, people with the ch in the church, about whether I should come on staff to work for the church. And I was in the middle of those conversations about five and a bit years ago. At the same time, I was having conversations and I was in the final stage of being offered a new job in my current industry. So on the one hand, I was talking to the church, praying with the church about coming on staff. And on the other, I was interviewing for this other job, this other much bigger job than I currently had. It was a big promotion, um, different company, a lot more pressure, I guess, the lot. And I remember I was in this final interview stage and I was driving to meet a bunch of these directors who were, who were kind of looking to kind of rubber stamp me coming along um, before an offer was made. But at the same time, this conversation with the church had started to kind of reach ahead. And, and me and Shereen, we'd been praying about it. We'd sought other people's input. We'd had people prophesy. We'd, we, we'd, we were kind of nearly there on the church thing. We were like near, approaching 100%, 90%. We just found out we were pregnant. So that kind of was like, oh gosh, that's a thing. And then, but we, we were kind of certain that that was the direction that we should be going in. And yet I found myself driving to this final interview for this big job. And I, I wanted to conduct myself with, like, with integrity in that interview, right? 
I wanted, to be, I wanted to be honest. I wanted to not burn any bridges with the people who I was talking to. So I, so I, I decided that if they asked me if I had any other, what else was going on, if I had any other offers, that I would, I would be honest and I'd be saying that this was the conversations that I was, I was having. So there I was. I was sat in this, this fancy hotel with these three guys and, and they were grilling me. Um, and then it, they, they asked the question, so have you, have you had any other offers? And obviously they were expecting me to say, yeah, yeah, you know, I was this other company, 10% more, blah, 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 what can you do? But I didn't. I, instead, I explained to them that I was considering kind of changing my career entirely and following the call of God, sensing that God was leading me to, to work for the church, this, this call of God on my life. And these guys just don't, they just, it was a really fun conversation. They didn't have any grid to process that. They were just like, what? What are you on about? Are you actually mad? It's because they, didn't, they don't have a, have a grid through which they can think that through, right? They didn't have that as a framework. That's not what our secular world would tell us. And let's also, let's be honest, a lot of churches and a lot of Christian traditions have pretty much the same outcome. At the liberal end of, of the spectrum, you have churches who maybe believe that, that the stuff in the Bible, the miracles in the Bible, the way God speaks in the Bible, are, are nice kind of metaphorical stories that, that maybe didn't really happen. They give us nice philosophical truths to think about and live by, but they maybe didn't really happen in quite the way that we maybe think. On the conservative end of the spectrum, we have people who, churches, thinkers, who maybe think, they definitely did happen. Scripture is real, 100% real, but they don't happen now. So they would die on the hill that, yeah, it happened, but they don't necessarily believe that that sort of thing happens now. And yet when we look at the pages of the New Testament, when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the life of the early church, we see a different picture, right? Right? What we see is Jesus living in complete, intimate, ongoing communion with his Father. He says in John chapter 5, I do nothing apart from which what I see the Father doing. Everything he does is out of a place of communication and being aligned with and understanding the direction of God on his life, of his Father on his life. Everything he does is in that intimate relationship with God. And then more than that, Jesus promises in the verses that we just read out, in the verse we read out, we, that we, his people, that's us, will hear his voice. He will speak and we will hear. And then on top of the kind of promises of Jesus, how Jesus lived his life and the promises of Jesus, we see in the early church a lived out experience of normal people being filled with the Holy Spirit and consistently living in an ongoing line of communication with God, living with God, doing life with God. Did you know that in the book of Acts, there is only one chapter in the entire book? So the book of Acts is the story of the, the early church, right? There is only one chapter in the entire book where there is no direct supernatural act or miracle or communication from God. One chapter in the entire book. The story of the early church is one of constant, supernatural communication from God. Let me give you some examples. If you know, if you know me, 
if you've been around here a while, you know I can get quite into this sort of thing in terms of like lists and like proving a point. Um, today's no different. Uh, so here we go. This is, this is like a potted summary, I guess, of Acts. Um, I'm just going to go through it. Uh, Acts 1. The risen from the dead Lord Jesus Christ speaks to the apostles. I think that's quite impressive in terms of communication from God. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit fills the apostles. They speak in foreign tongues and people hear it who are not from their city, who they don't know what they're saying, but the people who listen do, and they respond to the gospel, and the gospel is spread through miraculous communication from God. That sounds pretty good. Acts 5, Peter is given a supernatural word of knowledge about Ananias and Sapphira and the lies that they are telling the church. Oh, and an angel tells him to leave prison. Pretty good communication. Acts 7, Stephen has a vision of Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Acts 8, another angel speaks to Philip. Acts 9, Jesus speaks to Saul and Ananias in separate visions and gets them together. Acts 12, Peter hears from another angel. Acts 15, the Jerusalem count, oh sorry, I'm just got skipped Peter and Cornelius receiving four visions between them in Acts 10. Acts 15, the Jerusalem council is guided by the Holy Spirit. Acts 16, Paul is stopped by the Holy Spirit on his planned journey. He's got on a journey to somewhere and he's stopped and then he is given a vision of a man of Macedonia and he adjusts his plan in response to the communication from God. Acts 18, Paul has another vision. Acts 23, Paul hears God's audible voice encourage him. Acts 27, an angel tells Paul that he will survive a shipwreck. I'm going to stop. There are more. I've just picked out some of the times that God communicates and speaks to people in the book of Acts. And I've missed out all of the other things like miracles, the casting out of demons, um, the miraculous healing from snake bites, all of those kind of things. I've missed out those, just focused on God communicating. And what we can see, I think, without any shadow of a doubt, that in the New Testament, in the early church, It is normal to expect God to be communicating and speaking and guiding and being involved in the life of his church. First thing I want to say about hearing from God is that the Bible should be our baseline of expectation rather than our secular culture or worldview or the the values of our world. Does that make sense? Not the values of those three guys who were looking at me like I was... Like they, didn't, they just couldn't understand it. Our baseline of expectation is scripture. Let me finish with, with a story. Um, this point, anyway, not the whole thing. You've got far more to come. Back in April 2022, I was praying um, one lunchtime, and I felt God prompt me really specifically to pray for some of our friends who were overseas and specifically to pray for their protection. I don't, I, have, I don't necessarily pray for these guys every day. I certainly don't meet them every day because they're overseas, right? But I felt specifically to pray for them and to pray for their protection. And so I prayed for them. And then I sent a message on, because sometimes when you feel like that, there's something, there's a prompting in that. And so I messaged them to see how they were. And in about an hour, I got a message back. Um, and I went back this week and checked my WhatsApp messages. I can see the whole timeline. My friend replied saying that he, just, that he wasn't actually too good, <laughs> that he'd just been in a car accident and he was messaging me from the side of the road. 
his car had been forced off the road. A lorry had been going down the wrong way on this road where he was, and his car had been forced off the road, had flipped over, gone down, gone down a bank. And he sent me this picture from the side of the road where he was. He had this accident pretty much at the same time that I had felt prompted to pray for his protection. He was able to walk away from this accident with just a bit of whiplash and a few cuts and bruises. God speaks. I don't fully understand it all, but God speaks. The Bible should be our baseline of expectation when it comes to thinking about how we hear from God. Make sense? Good. Next one. The Bible is our plumb line of truth. Our plumb line of truth. Uh, Psalm 19, verses 7 to 11. I love this psalm. It says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Hallelujah. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Talking about scripture. One of the, one of the critical questions that we need to ask when we think about this idea of hearing from God is, how do we know that it's God who's speaking? How do we know that it's God who's speaking? If, have, if we feel a, a sense of revelation, um, receive a prophetic word from God, have a dream, whatever it is, how do you know that it's God who's speaking? And this is really important because in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul says that we, are, we prophesy in part. The Spirit has been poured out in all, on all flesh, but we prophesy in part. Sometimes that flawed filter of, of human motivation can get in the way of what God is saying. So as we think about this idea of hearing from God, it is vital to remember that Scripture, that the Bible is our plumb line of truth. You know what a plumb line is? Before, before spirit levels were invented, in order to get a, a completely straight vertical line, people would put a weight on a piece of string and that, through the force of gravity, would give you a straight line, a vertical line. The Bible is our line of truth. Scripture is true. And as we explore this idea of hearing from God, it's so important at the outset, at the foundation of how we think about hearing from God, is the idea that, that everything has to line up with the Bible. If you think that God has told you something, but it contradicts Scripture, doesn't line up with what is in the Word of God, Quite simply, you are wrong. If you think that, that God has told you that Jesus is just one way to God and all religions end up in the same place, according to Scripture, quite simply, you are wrong. If you think that God has told you that you can be a fully flourishing and thriving Christian follower of Jesus, outside of a context where you are meeting with other Christians, outside of a context of fellowship, outside of the context of the local church, 
according to Scripture, quite simply, you are wrong. If a Christian leader tells you that God has told them that it's okay to control or abuse or demean or demand your money, quite simply, according to Scripture, they are wrong. It's so important that we have this plumb line of truth. And I want to be really clear, right? I am not pitting the prophetic gifts or gifts of the Holy Spirit against Scripture like they're in some sort of conflict. I'm not doing that. I think because some churches uh, have a focus on the ministry of the Word or alternatively a focus on the ministry of the Spirit, sometimes it can feel like the truth of the Word and the gifts and work of the Holy Spirit are in some kind of tension. Not maybe intentionally, but sometimes it, 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 that can be our experience, I think. I think that's true. But it shouldn't be the case. By establishing a plumb line of truth with Scripture, what that does is it, it protects and it gives wisdom and I believe actually creates a freedom for the people of God to hear from him. When a people of God are steeped in Scripture, when they really know their Bible, when people know the truth of the word, like it says in Psalm 19, it brings wisdom. It, brings, uh, it helps you to discern. It enlightens eyes. It warns. It teaches. It protects. It guides. When we're a people of the word, it creates, I think, an atmosphere of freedom for God to speak. Because we will know what is true and what is not quite instinctively. It's a bit like that famous analogy. You've probably, if you've been around for a while, you've, I've used it certainly a number of times. If you've been, it, it's like the, when, a, when they used to train cashiers, bank cashiers, to recognize false notes, forgeries. They didn't train them by giving them a whole bunch of false notes and saying, study these and know these. They trained them by just giving them loads of the real stuff. Every day, handling Real, true money. So that when a forgery comes along, they just know instinctively. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't sound like the voice of God. It doesn't sound like what God sounds like in Scripture. That's how we are supposed to operate. That's how God wants his people to operate. He wants us to be so steeped in the truth of Scripture that we know, how to, that we know to discard instinctively things that aren't from him. Let me give you a worked example. A worked example. Now, normally, I would say to people um, who are in our prayer ministry team or praying for people who are involved in kind of maybe giving prophetic words, if you feel like God is speaking to someone about a birth, a marriage, or a death, you don't give that word to that person, at least not straight away. If that's something that you think that God is speaking to you for another person, Come and talk to somebody else. Come and talk to a leader. We're going to weigh that together. We're going to really press into God on something like that. And just to be clear, the Bible doesn't have within it a biblical commandment that says, God will not talk about births, marriages, or deaths. End of transmission. Don't give them. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, if you read Scripture, God does have a tendency to talk about births, marriages, and deaths. Just ask Abraham, or Mary, or Joseph. 
or any Old Testament prophet who prophesied the birth of Christ. He has form on talking about those things. But in a world where the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh and we prophesy in part, and in a world where we probably don't necessarily always know our scripture as well as we should, in that kind of world, I think it's pastorally wise to put some guardrails in and say, why don't we talk about that? Let's weigh it before the Lord, before that kind of impacts someone. Anyway, slight aside. Let's just go back to my hypothetical situation. It's a hypothetical situation where we have a, a zealous young man and a lovely Christian girl. And he thinks that God has told him that they're going to get married. And then he then goes and tells her that that is what he thinks God is saying. Now, if this is completely out of the blue and they don't know each other, it's quite easy, right? It's like, who are you again? Like, thanks, but see you later. In the nicest possible way, right? But let's imagine it gets a bit more complicated. Let's imagine that they do know each other. Let's imagine that perhaps they're even friends. Maybe even they've been dating for a while. How does Scripture equip her to deal with that coming to her door? If she has been in the Word of God, if she has been in the truth of God, how does that help her? Well, Scripture says that marriage is good and that it's forever. Matthew 19, Jesus says, God is the one who joins a husband and a wife together and nobody should separate them. They become one flesh and no one should separate them. So she needs to think through on the basis of that truth of scripture how much she likes this young man, right? Can she see herself with him until one of them dies for the rest of her life? Through all of life's ups and downs and in-betweens, marriage is permanent. Until one of them expires, she's in that. That's a good question. It's a good process for her to be thinking through. The truth of Scripture is protecting and guarding her, right? That's the obvious one, but there's more. She also needs to think about what his character is like. In Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Is he displaying the fruit of the Spirit in his life? That's a good question to be asking. If not fully, maybe in, in part, but are they there? That's a good question. Scripture guides and protects us. In the Song of Solomon, we see marriage as being modeled, as, as what is being modeled in the Song of Solomon is, is like attraction, desire, sexual desire, enjoyment, intimacy. Is that, that's important in marriage. Is that something that exists in their relationship? That's a good question to ask. Ephesians 5 says that in marriage, husbands are supposed to be servant leaders of their wives, laying down their lives for their wives, just like Christ laid down his life for the church. So she needs to ask herself, can this young man be the sort of husband who lays down his life for me? Can he lead himself, let alone me? Can you see? I could obviously go on, right? What Scripture does is it gives us the, the guidelines and the tools and the protection for when, the, when other things, when the other voices, when words come, it, it, it creates the freedom for us. Scripture is our plumb line of truth. 
allows us to weigh the circumstances and the inputs of life according to what God says is true. Okay. Final one. So the Bible is our baseline of expectation, our plumb line of truth. Thirdly, the Bible is our direct line of revelation. A direct line of revelation. So the Bible, um, so finally, the, so Luke 24, 13 to 35, we'll, we'll end there. For context, this is the, last, the first day of Jesus' resurrection, Luke 24. He's just appeared in the garden to Mary, and now he's come alongside two of his friends, two of his disciples who are on a journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And his friends are telling him about everything that has gone on. They, have, they can't recognize him. They've been stopped from recognizing him. And he's kind of like, oh, really? What has that been happening? And they're telling him, telling him all about what has been happening in, with Jesus dying on the cross in Jerusalem. And how they're disappointed that Jesus wasn't really the Messiah that they thought he was. And Jesus is walking alongside them. And we pick up the story in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, Stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn with us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to us the scriptures? So what's happening? On, on the very day that Jesus rose from the grave, the first day that he leaves the tomb, on that day, the first thing that he does is he does a Bible study with two friends. That's a small connect group. And, and what a Bible study, by the way. Day one, like the most Christologically centered, on point, preach, sermon, teaching, Bible study, day one, he knocks it out of the park and never is going to get any better than what Jesus did on day one. He talks about how all of Scripture was anticipating him him coming, the Son of God coming to save the world. That's what happens day one of the resurrection. Jesus sits down with his friends and he opens up scripture. That's what happens. But when you're reading scripture, understanding what happens is good, but sometimes it's important to ask why that is happening. Why is it that Jesus on day one of the resurrection, is he sitting down with two of his friends and opening up the Bible with them? I think in doing that, Jesus is making a point about the importance of the revelation that we receive from Scripture. I don't think he's the sort of guy who does things without purpose or without thinking it through beforehand. Even though he is now in his resurrected, alive forever body, he wants to show us that script, the Scriptures, that the Word of God, the Bible, as he had it then, are the direct line of revelation for us for communication from God. Every word of Scripture, it says the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the prophets, that's things like Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of that, all the ayahs, the prophets, all of them point towards him. And when he revealed himself through Scripture to those people, what does it say happened? Their hearts burned within them. Our God speaks in many, many ways. 
But if you want to hear from him, pick up your Bible and read it. He wants to speak to you through it. Honestly, it's how he speaks to me more than any other way. Any other way. Let me tell you one more story about a lady called Monica. Uh, Monica was a Christian and she was really devout. She was really faithful. She loved God. She loved Jesus. And she had a son who she loved very, very much. Um, And she used to pray for her son. She used to sing sing, uh, worship songs and hymns over him as as he was a kid. She would pray for him every day that he would grow up to be a boy who would, who would do amazing things in the kingdom of God, be a blessing in the kingdom of God. And as her son grew up, it became clear to everyone that he was a very bright boy, incredibly intelligent, incredibly gifted. And Monica was known in her community for, for being very faithful, being diligent in prayer, just being a real kind of cornerstone in the community of faith. However, her son fast became known for his immorality, for his drinking for his uh, attending certain um, parties which were no good, for his sexual immorality. He'd risen academically to become a professor in the local university, but he'd also given himself entirely to that as a lifestyle. And Monica obviously was was despairing. Um, She didn't really know what to do, but she did pray. She labored in prayer. One night, Monica had a dream, um, which she felt was from God, where she saw herself and her son walking hand in hand in heaven. And she knew that that was from God, and 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 God used it to encourage her to continue to pray. And so she did. Um, But for several years passed, and her son continued down the road that he he was on. After several years passed, um, there was one time when a very famous preacher and teacher came to her town. And such was Monica's reputation in that town that she managed to get a one-to-one audience with him. And she asked him, will you come and speak to my son? I want you to to, bring my son back in, reason with him, reason with him about faith. But this famous preacher and teacher said, I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think it would only push him away. But instead, he turned to her and and he prophesied and he said, it is impossible for the son of those tears to perish. He prophesied, it's impossible for the son of those tears to perish. And though she was obviously sad that this guy wasn't really interacting with her son and wasn't getting the immediate outcome that she wanted, she went away encouraged like she had been encouraged with the dream. Nine years after Monica's dream, her son was sitting in a garden alone, still an unbeliever, and he heard a voice say, take it and read, take it and read, take it and read. And and it was in a kind of a sing-song, nursery-style voice, and he thought maybe it's children kind of playing in the garden. He explored the garden. There was no children there. And then he came to the realization that that voice was God. Take it and read, take it and read. And that voice of God was encouraging him to go and pick up the Bible. So he went inside, he went and found scripture, and he opened it, and his eyes fell on Romans 13, verse 13 to 14. It says this, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. In that moment, Monica's son was miraculously transformed. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. 
He would no longer be known as Monica's wayward, immoral, party-going son. In fact, he would become, go on to become the man that we know as St. Augustine, one of the greatest, most important, most influential thinkers and theologians and church fathers in all of church history. And in Augustine's story of coming to faith, there were dreams, prophetic words, and in, uh, the direct, audible voice of God. And in the light of all that, you might think, well, if you have all of that, then maybe scripture isn't that necessary. But in Augustine's case, at least, God spoke to encourage his mother, spoke to him, but led him to the truth of scripture. And that exploded in his heart, made his heart burn in such a way that he changed his entire life. He decided in that moment, I'm going to follow Jesus. When the Bible is illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is nothing like it. There is nothing like it in terms of a direct line of revelation. Okay, I'm running out of time. Let's wrap up. God speaks. Hearing, listening, speaking with God, communicating with him is normal Christianity. The Bible is our baseline of expectation, our plumb line of truth, and our direct line of revelation. God wants to speak to you today. He wants to reveal himself to you today. We're going to close today by taking communion. And as we do so, in that bit in Luke 24, the, the disciples, Jesus broke the bread. And in that moment, there was a moment of revelation. God, he, the, the disciples who were with Jesus, they saw him. They saw him. I want us to take a moment today, as we take the communion together, to ask him and say, Lord, I want to see you. I want to hear you. God, you speak. I want to know you more. Without agenda, without request, without a list of things that I want you to do. Lord, I want to know you more. And be assured, God is speaking. God wants to know you more and for you to know him more. If you don't know Jesus then you'd please let this pass you by and maybe just, if you, if you feel prompted, ask God, are you there? Are you real? I want to hear from you. But if you're a follower of Jesus, take this moment where we use the body...